All right. First Samuel 28 tonight. We're going to be finishing up our study of First Samuel next week and uh, sort of uh, getting David to the throne finally at the end of First Samuel. And then starting the first Tuesday of March, we're going to begin what I'm labeling in a sense as is my Easter series. I'm not going to be doing an Easter series on Sunday. I'm going to be doing an Easter series on Tuesday night. And we're going to be looking at the last words that Jesus shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And uh, I'm really looking forward to these two months that we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And uh, I just want to sort of throw something out for you to pray about and consider. Would some of you be willing to pray and consider asking someone beginning the first Tuesday in March to come with you on Tuesday night? Sometimes that's, that's all the encouragement, all the nudge that someone needs to come maybe from Sunday to Tuesday, or maybe even someone that doesn't come to our church, but they really could use a substantive Bible study in their life that you would invite them and pray about who would God want you to invite to come with you on Tuesday. I think it's March the 6th is the first Tuesday uh, in March. So we'll be wrapping up 1 Samuel next week and then diving into the Gospel of John chapter 14 beginning the first Tuesday in March. All right, tonight, two big ideas. Two big ideas I want to leave with you tonight. In chapter 28, the the big idea is that what happens to us in our lives is mostly because of the choices we make. I know there's a rocket science thought, right? But in a world where very few human beings anymore take responsibility for anything, and, and... say, you know what, the, the reason I'm at where I'm at, the reason I'm going through what I'm going through has nothing to do with really anybody else. It really has to do with me. That that needs to be reinforced. And, and that's certainly the big idea that comes across in 1 Samuel 28. That Saul and David are in the places that they are in right now in their life because of their own choices. Because of their own choices. The second big thought of the night over in chapter 29 that we're going to look at in closing tonight, and it sort of took me back to an old, I think, truth song. I'm dating myself. Remember the group Truth? That's a couple of years ago. That was back with Steve Green and Sandy Patty and the Gaither Vocal Band and all that kind of stuff. I know, it's too old. Okay. The song was, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. I've never forgotten the words of that song because it it was like you know the red sea and you could go through the bible and you can look and even like what nicole was talking about the 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 walls of jericho coming down just by them walking around and and so all through the bible you have examples of god making a way where there seems to be no way he's going to do that in david's life tonight in chapter 29 and i hope the encouragement there will be this Maybe there's someone here tonight, maybe a couple people here tonight, that you're in a, you're in a narrowing, tight, tightening place in your life. You're, you're, in a, you're in a strait. You're feeling the pressure. You're distressed. 
And maybe you don't see any human way out of this or through this. God hopefully will use chapter 29 tonight to remind all of us that God can make a way when there seems to be no way. Let's go to chapter 28 tonight. Very interesting chapter in the Word of God. In those days, the Philistines gathered their troops for war in order to fight Israel. Achish, by the way, his name means only a man, said to David, you should fully understand or have come to know by now that you and your men must go into this battle with me. Wait a minute. David is going to have to fight his own people? Yeah. Because last week we saw where David made a bad decision and allied himself with the enemies of God. And now finds himself in this unbelievable place where he's got, in order to keep up this ruse with the king of the Philistines and save his own life, He's now got to go to battle and fight the people of God, His very own people. The ones that God has predicted and told Him and promised Him, you will be king over one day. That's a pretty, that's a pretty bad predicament to be in. And it reminds us that when we compromise, when we end up as David did, trying to get immediate relief as we saw last week and forget what the long-term consequences are. Many times the long-term consequences all of a sudden start rolling around and they're much worse if, than anything we would have done had we just stayed where we were. Again, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as anybody, but we, we, we've got to fight against living in a culture and in a world where the immediate is always usually chosen over the long term, whatever that is. Whatever I can give myself now, I really don't care what the long term consequences and ramifications are. And the Word of God says to God's people, when we make decisions and choices in life, it should be just the opposite. That we should always be willing to sacrifice the immediate for what's best in the long run, in eternity. We should always look at the far view, not the near view. And yet David had looked at the near view of how he could get immediate relief, and now he finds himself getting ready to fight against the people of God. David replied to Achish, that being the case, you will come to know what your servant can do. Really? You're all you know, excited about showing the king of the Philistines what you can do in battle? And Achish said to David, then I will make you my bodyguard, literally my personal protection from now on. Wow. How far David has fallen. So that's where we want to leave David. We're going to pick this back up then in chapter 29, but that sort of sets the scene for chapter 29. David is getting ready to go to battle against his own people. You and I, I'm sure, looking back over our life, there's been a few decisions we probably made. And then after we made them, we ended up in this just terrible place and wondered, how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to save face? How, how am I ever going to 
navigate this? Well, then you can identify with where David is right now. He doesn't really want to be where he's at, but he doesn't know how to get out of it. And so that's where we're going to leave David. Because now we want to go back and talk about Saul for a moment. This chapter is really going to cement for us why God is removing Saul finally from the leadership of Israel and going to give it to David. The Bible says now Samuel had died. Well, we learned that a couple chapters ago. But the reason why God is bringing this back up now is to remind us of the spiritual vacuum that has existed in Israel really since the death of Samuel. That there is a spiritual vacuum. And, and we see that even today, that when there is a spiritual vacuum, people are trying to find something to fill that spiritual vacuum. And, and when they don't choose God, which is really the only one that can fill up and fulfill and satisfy that spiritual vacuum, then we flood our lives with all these other things. And many times they are spiritual, in a sense, just like we're going to see here tonight. But it's the occult. It is negative spiritual influences rather than positive spiritual influences. So the Bible says, Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented over him and had buried him at Ramah, his hometown. In the meantime, even before Samuel had died, Saul had removed the mediums and magicians from the land. The word medium here in the Hebrew means one who seeks to communicate with the dead. And the word magician that's used here in the Hebrew means one who works with demonic spirits. One of the things that the Bible teaches is, unlike we're going to see an exception tonight that God allows to judge Saul, is that when people even today claim to be speaking to the dead, the Bible teaches us that they are really in touch with demonic spirits. And then not all of them are. There are some that are just charlatans. There, there are some that are just fake. They, they just dupe people. They make them think that they're in touch with somebody in the afterlife, but they're really not. But there are some who are dabbling in the occult, and they literally are talking and working with a demonic spirit. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. So the Bible says the Philistines assembled and they came and camped at Shunem. Saul mustered all Israel and camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was absolutely terrified. In the Hebrew, he stood in all shaking and trembling in his boots. And remember, the Bible teaches us that when we have a proper fear of God, a proper respect and reverence for God, that that will flood our lives in such a way that we will fear no one or nothing else. The reason why Saul feared the Philistines was because he stopped fearing God a long time ago. If God is for us, Paul said, then who can be against us? in the book of Romans, chapter 8. And it reminds us that when we put God in His proper place in our lives, when we acknowledge who He is, then everything else fills its proper place. And therefore, He, as the King of Israel, should have never stood in awe, shaking and trembling in His boots. He was only a man, as His name implies. 
So the Bible says, Saul inquired, verse 6, of the Lord. That's commendable. (laughs) But let's remember Saul's life. For the most part of his life, he could care less what God thought. Now all of a sudden, he's sort of in a strait, and Samuel's not around, and so I think I'll ask God what's going on. But the Lord, notice, did not answer him. Did not respond to him, did not speak to him. And the Bible says it wasn't by dreams, nor by the Urim, which was a prophetic a tool that was used to determine God's will, nor by the prophets. God was absolutely silent. And you and I would say, well, gee, Saul was trying to ask the Lord what's going on here. Why wouldn't the Lord respond? Because the Lord God has a limit. And the Lord teaches us in His Word, look, I will respond and and I will guide you and I will lead you and I will talk with you and I will answer you if I see as God that you're interested. But if I see a pattern that you have blown me off all your life and now you've come to a point where all of a sudden now you want to talk to me about things, God says, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm the God of the universe. I'm not going to be at your beck and call. I'm I'm not this God that that you can reduce to just, you know, ringing a bell in your life whenever things get hard and me just being for you there. If you're not interested in what I have to say any other time. And let's remember something. Just a few chapters ago, we saw where Saul murdered 85 of the Lord's prophets. So God is basically saying, look, you've wanted nothing to do with my prophets. You've wanted nothing to do with my word. You've wanted nothing to do with what I thought all your life. So don't expect me to come now and respond to you. In fact, this is such an important principle. I want you to keep your finger there and I want you to go over to the book of Proverbs. I know I'm taking a detour here. I wasn't even planning on it, but let's go anyway. Proverbs chapter 1. Now, in a sense, this passage we're going to look at, beginning in verse 20 of Proverbs 1, verse 20, is speaking about wisdom, not of God, but it's personifying that that the wisdom comes from God, and therefore, if we've blown off wisdom in our life, there's going to come a point where God says, you're just going to reap what you've sown. I'm not going to... Yeah, yes, God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of second chances. But with God, there does come a limit. And so notice what the book of Proverbs warns us against. Chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom calls out in the street. She shouts loudly in the plazas. In other words, it's not like God's wisdom is hard to find. In fact, that's true for any of us. I mean, this book sits on our shelf or in our bookshelves and it lays around the house a lot. We can always get God's wisdom on things. At the head of the noisy streets, she calls. In the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her words. How long will you simpletons love naivete? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If only you will respond to my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you, and I will make my words known to you. But notice what wisdom says in verse 24. However, because I called, but you refused to listen, 
Because I stretched out my hand, but no one paid attention. Because you neglected all my advice and did not comply with my rebuke, so I myself will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when you dread when your dread comes. When you when what you dread comes like a whirlwind and disaster strikes you like a devastating storm, when distressing trouble comes on you, then they will call to me. Notice what it says, but I will not answer. They will diligently seek me, but they will not find me because they hated moral knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. They did not comply with my advice. They spurned all my rebuke. Therefore, they will eat from the fruit of their way and they will be stuffed full of their own counsel. For the waywardness of the simpletons will kill them. And the careless ease of fools will destroy them. But the one who listens to me will live in security and will be at ease from the dread of harm. Folks, if there's a passage of Scripture that illustrates exactly where Saul's at in his life and why God did not respond to Saul, Proverbs chapter 1. God had tried to get Saul's attention his whole life and Saul wanted nothing to do with God or what God had to say. And so God is saying now, too late, Saul. I'm not going to answer you at this point. Back to 1 Samuel 28. So Saul, verse 7, instructed his servants, find me a woman who is a medium or sorceress so that I may go to her and inquire of her. Wow. This is a guy that drove out all the mediums and sorcerers earlier And now because God's not responding, now he's going to go seek guidance from this? I'm going to share with you a principle that I've had to learn the hard way through my life. If God is not speaking to me and is not and is silent in my life at times, then God wants me to do what I know I should do whether He speaks to me or not, rather than driving me to some place else ungodly to seek guidance. There is no excuse for any follower of God to ever seek guidance away or apart from God. And if God for some reason is choosing to be silent, then just do what you know you should do anyway. That's exactly what Saul should have done in this case. He knew enough of God and of His Word and of His will that he should have done what he knew God would want him to do in this case, regardless of whether God spoke to him tonight and let the chips fall where they may. Instead, he sought guidance from a sorceress. One of the things that God really spoke to me about as I was preparing this is, Jeff, who do you seek guidance from? Where do you go for guidance? That says a lot about us. Especially when things start to cave in in our life and and we start to get pressed and we start to to struggle and, and go through hard times. Who or where do we go for guidance? Saul went to the wrong place for guidance. He went to a sorceress. And his servants, notice, replied to him, well, there's a woman who's a medium in Endor. How do you think his servants knew there was a medium in Endor? Probably because they were going up there to her to find out some things too. And then notice, even in Saul's terrible spiritual state, he still knew what he was doing was wrong. Why? 
Because notice the Bible says in verse 8, he disguised himself. He put on other clothing instead of the king's clothing and left, accompanied by two of his men. And they came to the woman at night. There's another clue. The word means darkness, shadows, gloom. God is light. Nothing is to be hidden. The word occult means hidden. That's what the word means. And it reminds us that when the devil's at work and and when, when man is doing what he shouldn't be, he tries to hide it. When God is at work, it's out there for everyone to see because he's light. He's no, there's no darkness in God at all. And so you even see in the way things are happening here that, that even in the physical uh, time and all of that, it, it's reminding us of, of even where Saul's spiritual state is at. Disguising, going at night. And then he says to her, use your ritual pit to conjure up for me the one I tell you. In the Hebrew, practice divination. What is divination? It is attempting to discover what is hidden. That's what the word divination means. To attempt to discover what is hidden. And God basically says to his people in his word, if I reveal it, then focus on it. If I haven't revealed it, don't try to find out. Because there was a reason why I haven't told you yet. But don't try to use demonic spirits or get in touch with demonic spirits or the dead or whatever to try to find out something that I've hidden. The woman said to him, look, you are aware of what Saul's done. He's removed the mediums and magicians from the land. Why are you trapping me so that you can put me to death? But Saul swore an oath to her by the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, you will not incur guilt in this matter. Whoa! Who are you, Saul, to tell anybody that they're not going to incur guilt for sin? That's God's job. That's not a human being's job. Here again, we see how warped Saul is. He's telling this woman, you you can sin, but you'll be okay. Really? The woman replied, who is it that I should bring up for you? And he said, bring up for me Samuel. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out loudly. The woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Why did she know now what was going on really? I believe for this reason. I believe this woman worked with a demonic spirit. When she wasn't able to contact the demonic spirit, but she actually saw Samuel there, then she knew something's not right here. Because this isn't the way this usually works. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What have you seen? The woman replied to Saul, well, I saw someone like a God, a mighty one coming up from the ground. That's what the Hebrew word means. He said to her, what about his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up. He's wrapped in a robe. The word robe simply means a garment of rank. Then Saul realized or recognized it was Samuel and he bowed his face to the ground and kneeled down. This was an expression for being in the presence of one greater or superior. Why did God, because there's some people that believe that this wasn't really Samuel. I, I think the text clearly tells us this is Samuel. Why did God, in a sense, break with the norm and allow Samuel to literally come back and speak to Saul? I think for this one reason. Samuel was coming back one last time as the prophet of God to pronounce judgment on Saul. That's why. Normally, God will not permit 
mediums to speak to dead people. If they're speaking to anybody, if they're not just duping people, if they are speaking to someone, if they're in touch with someone, it is a demonic spirit. The Bible clearly teaches us that there is no way God permits those of us on this side to speak to those on that side, even though that's a very popular thing today. Whoever or whatever they are speaking to, if they're speaking to anyone, according to the Bible, are demons, not dead human beings. So the Bible goes on to say, Then Saul realized it was Samuel, and Samuel said to Saul, verse 15, Why have you disturbed me? I can only imagine. Man, I, coming back here, that's not good. I'd rather be where I was. And Saul replied, I'm terribly troubled. Literally in the Hebrew, I'm all tied up in knots. And here's the ironic thing. Saul didn't pay attention to anything Samuel had to say when Samuel was alive. But now that Samuel's dead, he's interested in talking to him. And so he says, the Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He does not answer me, not by the prophets nor by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why are you asking me now that the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done exactly as I prophesied. The Lord has torn away the kingdom from your hand and has given it to your neighbor, David. By the way, the word neighbor there means an intimate friend and companion. Notice what Samuel goes on to say to Saul, verse 18. Since you did not obey the Lord and did not carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Again, the word obey there in verse 18 means to listen with attention and interest, to yield to. Samuel, or Saul had no interest in yielding to God his whole life. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to know what God has to say. And so notice the, the prophecy of judgment here in verse 19 from Samuel's lips. The Lord will hand you and Israel over to the Philistines. Tomorrow, both you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also hand the army of Israel over to the Philistines. By the way, notice in that verse who else is going to die tomorrow with Saul? Jonathan. David's best friend on earth is going to die tomorrow in this battle. Saul quickly fell full length on the ground and was very afraid because of Samuel's words. He was completely drained of energy, hadn't eaten anything all day or night. And basically the rest of chapter 28 is where the woman, the medium, and... Saul's servants finally get him to eat and gain some strength. A couple things before we move on quickly to chapter 29. If you'd go back to the book of Deuteronomy with me real quick. The book of Deuteronomy. I want to read these verses to you. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I could spend a whole night talking about the occult. but something I dealt with uh, a little bit uh, in my earlier days. But... I tell people this, look, anything that God wants a Christian to know about Satan, the occult, demonic spirits, is contained in his word. Anything more than that, and you're crossing a line and going to get yourself into trouble. 
Be very careful. I've seen Christians who start to study the occult and, and study, you know, uh, pick up things like Anton, Anton LaVey's, uh, you know, satanic Bible. Just, just because they want to check out what's... Folks, I'm telling you, I've seen Christians destroy their lives by dabbling, even in, in an innocent way at first. Well, I just want to know a little bit more about it. Listen, everything we need to know is right here in the Bible. Anything more than that, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, you must not learn the abhorrent practices of those nations. There must never be found among you anyone who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, anyone who practices divination, an omen reader, a soothsayer, a sorcerer, one who casts spells, one who conjures up spirits, a practitioner of the occult, or a necromancer. Whoever does these things is abhorrent to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God is about to drive them out from before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Those nations that you are about to dispossess, listen to omen readers and diviners. But the Lord your God has not given you permission to do such things. One of the most clear passages in the Word of God about staying away from anything associated with the stuff. And yet this continues to gain popularity every day in our culture and will continue. It is a way that the demonic spirits are able to influence human beings today. Because instead of just listening clearly to what God has said, that spiritual vacuum in their life drives them to other spirits, which are lying spirits, deceptive spirits, that take them down a destructive path. And we see it over and over again in our society today. In fact, one other verse, sorry. 1 Timothy 4.7, to show you how, how this comes home today to even the church. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Very sobering verse. Christians today, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I, you know, I, I would never listen to a, a demonic spirit. I, I'd never be duped by, by uh, you know, anything like that. Here's what the Bible has to say about that and why spiritual growth and being part of a local church is so important because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, this very sobering verse. Now the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in the latter times, some will desert the faith. Wow! Turn their back on God and on God's Word. How will they do that? Why is that happening? Because the Bible says they will occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. Basically, even though they may be listening to a human being, there is a demonic spirit behind what that human being is saying. And that demonic spirit is fooling them. And they think, and here's the thing I've seen with Christians or, or people who profess to be Christians. They think they've gotten to a place where they're right. And they're being deceived by a spirit into a course of action that's only going to lead to disaster in their life. But you can't talk to them. Because they've been blinded by these deceiving spirits. And let's remember what the Bible says. These deceiving spirits will not come at us as deceiving spirits. You're not going to have a demon come into your life and go, Hey, I'm a demon. I'm here to try to fool you. 
The demonic spirit will come, the Bible says, as an angel of light, as a minister of righteousness. That's why we've got to be on our toes, folks. That's why spiritual growth and getting into the Word of God is so important because if not, we are so vulnerable to these demonic spirits and to these teachings that will exist. Well, let's go back to chapter 29 or I'm never going to get through. It won't take me long. First Samuel 29, this chapter is all about how God extricates David from this mess that he's gotten himself into. In God's providence, God is looking out for and caring and watching over David, even though David has had a lapse spiritually, even though David has been disobedient, even though David has turned his back. The difference between David and Saul is that Saul has spent a lifetime turning his back on God. With David, like us, there's times where we lapse, where we fail God, where we we do what we shouldn't have done. But it's not the normal pattern of our life. The normal pattern of our life is obedience and worship of God and doing the right thing. But every once in a while, as a human being, even someone like David, a man after God's own heart, he blows it. God's not going to abandon him. No, God is going to continue to work in his life and in spite of the fact that David's messed up. And I hope that will encourage you tonight. Because the Bible says the Philistines assembled all their troops at Aphek and they were ready to go to battle. Notice in verse 2, the leaders of the Philistines, besides King Achish, they get there. And the leaders of the Philistines in verse 3 ask, what about these Hebrews? And Achish is like, oh, they're okay. Hey, they're with me. David's a good guy. You know, he's going to go into battle with us with all his men. And the leaders of the Philistines, verse 4, became angry. Literally in the Hebrew, they became furious and enraged. They said, are you kidding me? The guy who slayed Goliath, and now you're taking him with you into battle against his own people? Don't you see what's going on here, king? He's duped you. Once he gets into battle, he's going to cut off our heads and give them to Saul and and make it all better with Saul. I mean, they didn't know what was going on with Saul. And they're like, there's no way we're going into battle with this guy. You either send him away or else there's going to be some trouble. So Achish, verse 6, summoned David and said, As surely as the Lord lives, I believe you're an honest man. I'm glad to have you serving with me in the army. I found no fault with you from the day that you first came to me until the present time. But in the opinion of the leaders, you're not reliable. Literally, you're of no value. You're not agreeable to them. You're not appropriate. So turn and leave in peace. You must not do anything the leaders of the Philistines consider improper. In other words, what he's saying is, these guys are pretty upset right now. Don't do anything that's going to stir up. Just leave quietly. Go back. Now think about that. David got himself in this terrible mess. And who's going to get him out? God. Because God was never going to permit David to fight against his own people. God was going to extricate him very, very strategically. There have been times in my life where I got myself into terrible messes. And I'm so glad I had God in my life because he was the only one that could get me out. That's where David's at. He knew he had blown it, but he didn't know how to get himself out of this mess. But what it shows us is that God loves us so much that when he sees it, our heart is for him and we just blew it. 
He doesn't stop working in our lives. He's still there looking out for us. And He's still going to make a way when there seems to be no way. Now David says to Achish in verse 8, Oh, you know, but what have I, you know, I'd still like to go. Come on. Send me in there, coach. Verse 9, Achish replied to David, I'm convinced that you are reliable as the angel of God. However, the leaders of the Philistines have said he must not go up with us in the battle. So get up early in the morning along with the servants of your Lord who have come with you. When you get up early in the morning, as soon as it's light enough, leave. So David and his men got up early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And David... And the mighty men of Israel did not have to fight their own people. It wasn't because they got themselves out of this mess. It was because God loved them enough that he got them out of this mess. And he never stopped working on David's behalf. Even though David got himself into this mess. And that's where we see the balance between the way God is treating Saul because of a lifetime of rebellion and rejection of God and the way God is treating David, who, yes, has lapses, but who's a man of God and who wants to do what's right most of the time. That's the difference. And that's what we see in chapter 29. God is making a way where there seems to be no way. Next week, we wrap up this part of David's life, and here's what we see. We see a a tragic end to Saul and to his sons. And it just reminds us, because we experience this in our day and age, where we see someone who has so much potential, so much talent, so much ability, could be used in, in... for God's service in so many ways, and yet they start going down a wrong path and their life ends in terrible tragedy. Guess what? That's exactly what happened to Saul. It's what happens to so many people. And yet in the midst of all that, what we're going to see next week is now God has taken the kingdom away from Saul and now God is finally ready to hand over the kingdom to David and we're going to see how that transpires next week. And it will leave us in a really good place then to take a break until we come back and then dive into 2 Samuel in a couple months after our Easter series. (sighs) Thrown a lot at you guys, but I appreciate your attention, especially on a Tuesday night after running all day. So let's close in prayer and we'll let you guys get going. Lord, I pray tonight that we would always seek You. And that we would seek Your Word and even the counsel of godly people. When we need guidance, Lord, may we go to the right place. May we never turn to the ways of the world to seek guidance when the God of the universe has clearly revealed everything we need to live life at the highest level. And God, may we also, as Christians, 
realize tonight from this passage of Scripture how important it is that we continue to grow and stay in fellowship with You and stay on our toes spiritually and be vigilant in our spiritual walk because, Lord, we are living in a day and age where there is an increasing prevalence of false teaching and demonic teaching out there that is destroying people's lives and even taking Christians away from the faith because they're not grounded enough in the truth to know the difference. God, may we be a church that is doing everything we can do to get ourselves grounded and rooted in Jesus Christ so that with all the deception swirling around in the world today and with everything that is happening and all the voices that we hear day in and day out, may we learn and grow to a point where most of all we hear the sweet voice of Jesus through it all. Our shepherd who wants to lead us even through the darkest of valleys. And God, help us to just dive into your word, to saturate our minds with your truth so that, Lord, when we hear or see something that is false, something that does not line up with your character and your nature, we can immediately tell it because we're focused on you. God, help us to be a light in the darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. See you Sunday or next Tuesday.